With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, you know, this is the 30th year of the fan. And if you were going to name the players, the names that have been mentioned the most on WFAN for its 30-year history, if he isn't one, he's in the top three. I don't know if it would be one or not. There would be a couple of names there that you would put there. Uh, but the name Daryl Strawberry would be at the top of the list. In the early 10 years, it would have been no-brainer. Uh, it was him and Lawrence Taylor, but uh, there's no question. He would be at the top of the list. He has a new book, Don't Give Up on Me, Shedding Light on Addiction with Daryl Strawberry, and he uh, joins us now. Straw, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks I heard for you went me. and visited the dog, huh? You went, yeah, you, you, yeah. Already, you already did your, your tour through him. How's the dog doing? He's doing good. I, when, you, when are you guys getting back together? Uh, I'm not going to stumble over the question. <laughs> I don't think anybody has enough money to put us back together. But well, what did he say? He stumbled all over. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing new for him. All right. Don't give up on me. Weaves Daryl's story of abuse, anxiety, and addiction with easy to understand explanations. Um, now, of course, everyone always wants baseball headlines, and you made a little this week comparing the Mets to the Yankees, your days with the Mets, days to the Yankees. Expound on your statements. Well, it's, it's pretty clear with the organization of the Mets. Um, and it's not the players. It's not the fans. It's not Sandy and New Regine. It's, it's, it's the ownership. It's, it's the ownership. The re- My relationship is done with them. I'm broke. You know, it's been broken. It's, broken. For, it's been broken for a long time. It I has. just never said anything. I could have exposed them on some things that happened to me with them. And how long has it been broken? It's been broken a long time, but I just kind of gave them the grace that they needed. I never said anything publicly, and I'm still not going to say what happened. But right. It's been. But broken. why are you saying anything now? How come? Because they de- they deserve it. You know, you reap what you sow, and you know we all reap what we sow, and and. Just because the way they treated, you know, the is this about matches. leaving when you left, or is it no, more no. than that? No, no, it has nothing to do with leaving. Has nothing to do with leaving. Own. Okay, yeah, okay. I left on my own. You know, and I'm not here. You know, I'm not here to make friends with them. I don't need baseball. Right, I, don't need, I understand. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Uh, well, a, what, what can you tell us that? You, what What will you share with us? What can you share with us about the relationship? Well, I just I, it's it's broken. It's never gonna. I'm never gonna be a part of that again. I'll never return to a reunion or anything ever again. Ever. That was my last one. Um, so you will I, never go back to the Mets? No, I would never go back to them. It's, it's, it, there's no way to fix it? There's no way to fix it. You know, I mean, you know, it's impossible to fix it. I can tell you that right now because they've never dealt with it face-to-face with me. Right. But I've had to deal with it behind the scenes, and it's just not good. And it's, it's, is this is this the is this specifically ownership or is this more than ownership or is this no, specifically ownership? It's just ownership. It has nothing to do with anybody else. Nothing, nothing to do with anybody else. Nope. Not managers, not, not general managers, never. nothing. None of them. No, it's just strictly ownership. And not fixable. It's not fixable for me. Okay. Um, and you want to tell us anything about why or anything or no? No. I, I, you know what? Just like I said, you reap what you sow, and you got to live with it. And they reaped a lot of things with a lot of different players, 
And I just believe that they're showing it now, you know, because, you know, the way they treated players like myself, Carter, Knight, you know, sir, just just the treatment that you get from now is just totally different from what the Yankees is all about. The Yankees is a class act. You know, they love you, your family. Uh, you put on a Yankee uniform, you become a family, you become a part of the family. And that's different. You know, it's different compared to what the Mets organization is all about. See, that's hard for Mets fans because, you know, they still think of you as one of their own. And, you know, they think of the 86 Mets. And the 86 Mets have a place in this town, you know. Uh, you know, they have a kind of a bad boy image as a team that was a bunch of guys who were wild men, okay? This was a, right. It was a wild group, okay? It was a talented, wild group. Uh, yourself, Doc, uh, even Davey, Lenny, go, Backman, go down the line. That was the image of the team. Well, let me just say this about the fans. This, this has nothing to do with the fans. Well, the fans love clear. you. I love the fans. Yeah. I love Met fans. I've always I mean, I've will. seen that my whole life. The fans always, they, they flock to you. They love you, the fans. They've always loved you. But I will always be with, that way, too, Mike, with Met fans. I truly love Met fans. I'm, I'm a homegrown Met fan. You've always been very approachable in public with people, too. Yes. Because I've seen you in the stands or anywhere else. You are always very nice to the fans or anybody. when you. When, and I always yeah. will be because yeah. New York is home. This, this has nothing to do with Met fans. Never okay. will. So you'll never step foot back in City Field, you tell me? Not saying I would go to City Field. Oh, okay, Hill. but you won't do any Met functions. No, I won't do any functions. No old time is day, yeah. no reunions, nothing like that. Yeah, don't even call me. I tell them lose my number. Really? You know, it, from you know from the front office standpoint. You know, not the people that work in the front office. Right. Jay Horace, great, you know. Lorraine, they were great. Those are people I love and care for because I, I was with them for a very long time. How long have you been bitter? I'm not bitter. You know, I'm, well, how I'm, long have you been ang- uh, upset with them? How long has this been going it's on? It's been a long time. I'm free. You know, this, okay. that's the thing about it is I'm free. I don't need Met baseball. I don't need any baseball. Right. Uh, I'm free. I love what I'm doing. I love who I am. I love the things I've accomplished in life after baseball. I've taken off the uniform. I no longer look at myself as a baseball player. I look at myself as a man of God, a man of faith, helping people right. and helping people restore their life. Um, but personally, I've had this relationship with the Mets for a very long time with some personal things that I've never talked about. I never went public. You know, I could have embarrassed them about some things, but right. I never did. And I kept my character under the gutter. Uh, together, even though I went through my own personal struggles, I could have, you know, buried them on some things, but I didn't do that. You know, I just left it alone and I took the high road on it. So I just come to this place now where it's just like I don't want to deal with that anymore. I, I don't want that to be, ever be a part of my life again. And I don't want to have the anxiety over, you know, ownership and, and what they're about. And it's not Fred. I need to say that. It's not Fred Wilpon. Oh, so now we're down to Jeff Wilpon. I, whoever you want to call Well, it, that's the I, only other Wilpon there is. Well, it's not Fred. Just, I'll leave it like that. Fred, Fred, Fred is a good man, and I respect him, and I respect what he did for the organization and what he did for the players. Okay. Now, does, it, does that bother you not to have a relationship with the 86 Mets or not really? And what about the, team, the players? Do you have I have a, no relationship you, with the players. You firm. still have, right. Yeah, it's, it has nothing to do with my teammates. But you are anything. cutting yourself off from anything that's ceremonial with the 86 Mets. Well, it's not because of them. Okay. You know, I've, I've just come to that Is there place. anybody on the team that feels the same way or just you? I'm quite sure there's quite a few of them probably feel that way, but I don't know. I mean, look what happened to Wally. You know, Wally been in the organization a long time, and, you know, he really never got a shot. And I don't know how they feel. With Lenny, he's on a different planet right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny's on a different – I think Lenny's always been on a different planet. That is Lenny. Is that a medical analysis, what you just gave us? Lenny's on a different planet? No, I just, you know, I just think he's somewhere, he's somewhere else. All right. Now, uh, from a baseball standpoint, how important – before I get to all this stuff about that we want to get to from the book – 
We're talking with Daryl Strowman. How important was the second chapter for you? What would it be for you right now? Where would you be if you didn't have the Yankee years? The second chapter of my life was a rebirth. It was the second birth. It was eye-opening. And when George brought me over to boss, he was incredible. And what I love about him is not that he gave me the opportunity. It's I love about him that he loved people. That's a, it's a big difference. You know, you, you, you own a franchise. Do you love the people? And for playing for him and putting on the uniform and the way he treated his players and the way he treated your family. Claudio, he can be rough on guys, though, too. He can well, be yeah. demanding. Well, he's very demanding. Well, yeah. he pays a lot. Yeah. He should be demanding. But, it, you know, what he, what he cares about family, he cares about your family and your kids and stuff like that, and he cares about the world. But was, it ha- was having that, those moments, hitting those home runs, having those, those, that role on those great teams, was that something that you needed for where you were in your life? Did you need that to happen for you? It was good for me. It was good for me. I, actually, I really didn't want it, you know, because I wasn't going to play anymore. And, and someone asked me to go down to St. Paul in Minnesota and play, and I said, you have a good shot. You know, the Yankees probably want to pick you up. Right. And I started thinking about it, and then all of a sudden I hear about, you know, who just passed was Gene, Gene Michaels. Yes, just just yeah. passed away. Just yeah, great, great baseball guy. He was the one He was the one who went back and told the boss and everything. That He's the one who told me you, you could still play. He went back and told the boss he could play. He went, yeah. came down He was a good analyst. He could analyze players. He really could. He had no talent. He yeah, had he did. Talent, he so. did have an eye for talent. Yes. He was, when Stick told you a guy was a player, he was yeah. a player. He, yeah. yeah, he when he was when he comes say when I go to stick and say stick, can this young guy play? If he said yeah, he played. That guy never didn't play. Yeah. If he said a guy could play, he could play. He knows he can play. Yeah, he, he knows he, he absolutely. Knows what guy can play. Uh, he always knew if guys could play. Well, I he totally was the, agree. He was the guy that pulled that '96 team together with oh, all the different he pieces and player. Absolutely, yeah. and they didn't trade the guys off because George was in exile. Right. Because they used to always trade the young guys off. Right. You know, he always and he had a fascination with the '86 Mets. He wanted to collect them. He liked he, he liked collect. <laughs> he, he did right. <laughs> he did. He wanted to take us from Crosstown over into the Bronx. He liked to do that. He, he did. did, yeah. All right, now the other stuff, which you've done in your life, where you've gone, and, and you talk about it from abuse to anxiety, the drug and alcohol addiction, and obviously to religion and everything else and what you do. And you're, you're not just someone who's involved religiously. You're involved with doctors and clinics. and all. You're, doing, you're dealing with everything. You're dealing with medical and physical and spirits. You're dealing with everything. You're not just the guy who's a, a preacher. That's not, right. that, that's not your thing. But tell me, uh, you mentioned him at a young age. What don't we know about your life at a young age that you want to share with us? What tell me about what 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 was impactful on you at a young age in your life? Well, it was very dysfunctional. My dad was alcoholic. He beat the crap out of was me. Was he and at my home? Brother. Well, yeah, he, and he beat the crap out of me and my brother. And he came home for the last time. He was drunk once, and he grabbed my mom, and we woke up me and my brothers. And I was about thirteen. My brother was fourteen. My other brother was fifteen. And my older brother Michael told him just get out of here and leave us alone. And he said. I'll kill the whole family. He pulled out a shotgun, and me and my brothers went into action. Um, Ronnie went in and grabbed a butcher knife. I grabbed a frying pan. My brother Michael grabbed a bat. And we came this close to killing my father. It could have been a tragedy in my life from, from the beginning, which most people... And you were 13? I was 13. Most people didn't know about these things. All they saw me was in a uniform playing. Right. Yeah, they don't realize I was, sweet already, swing. Yeah, yeah. I was already... I was already scarred. You were? I already had issues So when you inside. come to the majors, you're a mess. Well, yeah, I already have scars and issues inside right. because my father said I'll never amount to nothing. Here it is. My pain is real. Brokenness is real. And my pain 
led me to my greatness, but my greatness would end up leading me to my destructive behavior in my life because I never deal with the pain that was inside because my father never saw me play Little League. He was never around at the ballparks. Right. He heard was he a ball player, your father? He was a softball player. Okay. But he heard about me in high school, and all of a sudden he started showing up at the top of the fence watching me play. Now all of a sudden you see this kid. Right. You know, that everybody's writing about him. Everyone's calling the black Ted Williams. Yeah, and he calls my brother up and he goes, "Is I'm reading about your brother in the paper. Is he really that good? He says, yeah, you need to come see him for yourself. So I start seeing him stand up watching me behind. He didn't never come in the stands. He stood up at the gate and watched me play. You knew he was there? I knew he was there, yes. Did it make you nervous that he was there? No, I was never nervous. I was, I was, I was bitter. I was angry. Uh, he made you mad that he was there? It made me mad because I remember the beatings and I remember him saying I would never mount to anything. Right. And I used to think when I run around the bases and fans would cheer for me and everything and I would hit home runs and they wanted me to come out and get curtain calls and I just like, these people don't know me because I, I was felt broken inside. Uh, it, I just, it was there. So people, you didn't handle your early success well? Well, no, not really. And people say you should get over that. Were you angry then in those early years when you were having success? No, I wasn't angry. You know, I was angry with him. I was angry right. that I never had a relationship. I never had a dad in the house. Well, when you came to the majors and started to do well, did he try to have a, friend, a relationship with you? He did. And I kept him out of my whole life and my whole career. Was he legitimate or he wanted money? Um, I don't know what he wanted, but I just never allowed him So you never him. allowed him in? Yeah, so never you never had him. a relationship with him? I never had a relationship with him. Okay. And is he gone now? No, he's still here. And you still don't have a relationship with him, huh? No, I mean, my relationship changed. Oh, it has? Yeah, my relationship changed because, um, you know, years uh, years of my life and my brokenness with him and the separation and, and dysfunction. And, and then I go on to, you know, become a different person and I become on, become a pastor. And, and well, let me start with the drugs, though. What okay. year did you start doing drugs? What year I'm 13 years old. Are smoking. you were doing drugs when you were on your way up? Yeah, I was smoking marijuana, marijuana maintenance without everybody going. I was smoking marijuana at 13. I was drinking 40. All the 45. way up were you doing drugs all the way to the majors? Smoking marijuana. Yeah, yeah. in the minor leagues. I almost quit Lynchburg that year because I, you know, I was playing down in Lynchburg and I was hearing all these racial things. And then one of my other teammates, me and him, we started smoking marijuana and just... They said I went AWOL and didn't come to the park. And I came, I came very close to quitting. That year after Lynchburg. What were your early days like in New York? When you come to New York, my, what was it like? Well, my early days in New York was I mean, good. did you handle it well as far as behavior, or were you out there doing crazy things? Not at the beginning. Not in the beginning? Not at the beginning. When did you start doing crazy things? Well, my first plane trip, uh, you know, was not so great. You know, with a veteran player welcomed me to the big leagues. That was my first plane trip, and... I want, you know, I wanted alcohol. to fit in. I wanted to fit in. I was already drinking. I, I was already an alcoholic at the age of 18. So, oh, you were. I was drinking already. So, okay. drinking was already there. But um, that's how I got introduced. Well, one of the veteran players said, "Welcome to the big leagues, kid." And sent me to the back of the plane, and he says, "Welcome." Went in the bathroom. He said, "Go in the bathroom." There it was. He introduced me to cocaine. On the plane. 21. Yes. Someone on the team. Yes, veteran player, but I'd never say who it no, was. No, you don't have to. Not, yeah. not important. But that's when you got introduced to 21. That's when I got introduced. Welcome to the big leagues. Yeah, I just wanted to fit in because I never had a father. Right. So I just wanted to fit in. My mother raised five of us by herself. Right. You know, in, in South Central Los Angeles. And, you know, I just wanted to do something big and something special for my mom because I, I, I didn't have dad love. I never got a hug. I never got a pat on the back and say, well, great game, son. Or you made this mistake or this happened. You know, I never got that, so. Were you, were you ever, we're talking with Daryl Strawberry, the book, uh, Don't Give Up on Me, Shedding Light on Addiction with Daryl Strawberry. 
as the as your superstar uh, status starts to ascend and the Mets start to win and you are the big slugger who everyone can't wait to see come to the plate and hit these long home runs, as this all starts to unfold, was there ever a time that you were settled or were you always in chaos? Well, there were a period of times I was settled. There was. There were a period of times I was settled. And when I was going through the run. Did you play better when you were settled or did you play better when you were in chaos? I played better when I was in chaos. You I, did? I played better when I was wild. When you had an edge, you played yeah. better then. Yeah, I had a chip on my shoulder when I played wild and crazy, you know, when I went out drinking. Some guys do. Some guys yeah. play better when they're like that. Yeah, they do. It sounds weird, but they do. I did. I mean, most of the time, that's, that's the way I was. You know, I went out right. drinking all night and. You know, I popped amphetamines the next day, and I felt better. I just knew I, could, I, I stepping on the field was never a problem to me. Playing baseball, see, what people don't understand, I was a baseball player. That didn't make me a man because I put on uniform, I was making millions of dollars. Right. I was a baseball player. And one thing I know about baseball when I was growing up in Little, and when I saw Pete Rose play baseball, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be just like that. I wanted to dominate the game. I was confident in myself. I didn't worry about what anybody else was going to think. I didn't care who was on the mound. I knew I could hit anybody. And it's just the way I was. It was inside of me. When I, when I stood on the on-deck circle, I had an idea of the game. I knew how to get a home run in situations. I knew all that because I, I built all that around me inside of myself. And so pressure was never uh, that big to me on the baseball field. Pressure was big to me off the baseball field with life. Were you handling things well with those teams? Did you handle the start? You had some run-ins with veteran guys. You had run-ins with Keith and different guys, right, at different times? Well, yeah. You know, a lot of guys like to run their mouth. You know, right. so I'm, I got a little temper. I'm a little ghetto. got a downside of me. Too. Right. You know, they run their mouth. Look, let's do it. I'm not afraid. I was never afraid of anybody. So, I mean, it was just part of it. I mean, it's just part of a team. You know, part of guys being together, you're going to have that. doesn't mean you don't love each other. I think a lot of times uh, just people just took that out of context. Like, you, I didn't like these guys. I mean, I love these guys. Man. We, went, we went through the trenches together. We, we battled. We, we battled in different places together on the road. When people hated us, we got into fights with other teams and people in bars and stuff because people hated us because we had swag about ourselves. And so... I think a lot of times people don't realize how, how great we was and how good we were together. I mean, baseball is a game where you get a window of time that you're going to win. And we had a window of time to win, Mike. And we gave up some crucial situations. It's 87, Terry Pendleton oh, hit that please. home run. Absolutely. Straight away center off of McDowell. Hey, if they win a wild card, you might have won a couple yeah. more World Series. Yeah, no question. You guys might have been the best team all those years. You just didn't win it every year. We, 95 wins a year. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, if, that team should have won more than one World Series. There's yeah. no question. And, you know, people never gave Davey enough credit for what he had to handle on that team. There was a there lot was a, to handle. There was a lot to handle. There was a lot, a lot, of, wild child, a lot of a lot of wild <laughs> childs there. There really were. You know, it, you know, it, it's it's we're talking with Daryl Strawberry, of course. Now, if and this is the part that I always wondered about, if you didn't make the mistake and go west, would you have spiraled out of control like you did in the West if you had stayed with the Mets? No. You know that? No, yeah, I know that because I know I knew you Big difference of knowing New York and playing in New York and the expectations in New York. There's great expectations. So we all like, you know, to pretend like we have it all together. You know, all guys, you know, baseball players, movie stars, everybody pretend like they have it all together. Right. Um, and we can cover up good because we, we're used to that. Right. But I knew the fact that if, if I would have stayed in New York, I, I would have continued to be the player I was. 
I would have. I went west, and I got lost because when I went out there, it wasn't the same baseball. See, New York fans, they come early and they leave late. They care. Yeah, they care about the And the passion is they let you know when you suck. You know, and that was really good. I love that when they told me I suck. And guys stand over, they're out telling me, you suck. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I do suck right now. But they were letting me know how good you are and you can play better. And I love that. And then I got into this place in my mind when they tell me I suck. I says, okay, watch this. I'm going to hit two home runs off the scoreboard. I ain't coming out for no curtain calls. Yeah, that's right. That's I'm how going, I'll pay you back. I'm going to pay you back, and I'm going to go down in this tunnel, and I'm going to smoke me a cigarette in between innings. <laughs> <laughs> I was crazy, Mike. I tell you. But, I, and, I, and, but what was missing with the Dodgers? It was laid back. They come late, leave early. Was it just that? Was it the team, too? It, no, it was just this lifestyle out there. I, I knew it was a lifestyle out there because I'm born and raised there. And this la-la land is laid back and more concerned about So you really didn't want to go, right? No, I didn't really want In to go. In your heart of hearts, you didn't really want to I go. I did not want to go. That was the biggest mistake I ever oh, made. Oh, by far. By That's far. Absolutely. Ruined your career. Yes. That Kept you out of the Hall of Fame. Yes. That, that was the biggest mistake I ever made was leaving. Because you, you were like a mummy out there. You weren't the same guy out there. It wasn't the same atmosphere. It wasn't the crowd. It wasn't the noise. wasn't the buzz. Um, it just wasn't like that. It was kind of all laid back. And, and you had really some weird stuff out there, right? I mean, you were like, they got, you were in somebody's car. You were doing this. And you, you had some weird incidents out there. I had a lot were, of them, you know, because yeah. it was home. I knew all the back do you remember streets. Those, do you remember those incidents, or were you out of it completely? I was just probably out of it. You know, I was out of my mind. Really? Yeah. When did you regain your mind? Well, that would be years later. Were uh, you still playing? Or no, after you were playing? After I after Did I, you ever regain it as a player? I did. Were you ever totally back and together as yeah, a player? That's when, when I came back to the Yankees. You, I were, back. you were together, I was when together you were, yeah. with the Yankees. Yeah, I was together. I had my life together. Why did that work? Time. Why did it work then? I, it was just the organization. It was just the people. The people I was around, Joe Was Torrey. there any one person who helped you? It was just it was just the guys, you know, Joe Torrey. Um, you know, I had dear friends like Ron Dock, who uh, worked for the Yankees. He was right. in recovery. He's on the, on the book, too. And, right. Uh, he was a guy that George put with me, and we did a lot of things together, you know, to help me try to understand what it is to have sobriety. And, who are you closest to on that team? Who was your best buddy on that team? Well, it was, was I liked one all guy? of them. No, it was, it's, I liked all of them. Because the amazing thing about that team, like the 96 team, is you had all these great players on the bench. Yeah. Yourself, Big Daddy, Boggs, uh, Tim Raines. You guys were all celebrated stars. Now you're all the you're, you're, like, you're, you're like the role players on this team. It was for, great. With a bunch of guys like Jeter and Bernie and Paul O'Neill. And it you're the role players where, hey, you know what? Tino's not hitting. Put Big Daddy in. Yeah. Hey, we need a couple of home runs. Put Straw in Baltimore. Straw hit four home runs in two days. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. Put Tim Raines in. He'll get five big hits. You know, uh, it was unbelievable. Put Wade Boggs in. You know, so they had all these great players on the bench. Well, that was the greatest thing about having a team like that. You know you had a starting lineup, and then you know you had these guys on the bench. And what most people forget about these guys on the bench we played in the big leagues for a long time no that you were all stars yeah we and we were all stars and we we knew exactly what to do you know it wasn't like we didn't know and what he didn't to mind do. a big moment that, the, the good thing about that was joe torrey knew this right if he didn't know that you know he could have stuck with his players when they struggled right but he didn't. No, he put Big Daddy in or put yeah. you in. And you go down and people don't realize in the Orioles series, you wrecked the Orioles in that series. You went crazy in that series. Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a good series. And But you you was asking about who's the guy that you... Was, well, whether there was one guy that kind of strange out. 
No, it was just one guy. It was it was one guy that I watched, you know, and I just really admired him. It was Jeter, you know. I saw Jeter even as young as he was. I saw yeah, even as young as he was. I knew he was going to be a star, and I just knew he had it, you know. Because he was together. He was together, you know, and you just knew he was. He was do born it right. together. He was born together. Right. His he parents came, were good parents. So, parents yeah. were good parents. He came in here. He came in here all together. Um, he wasn't selfish. He wasn't self-centered, you know, and he didn't have the arrogance about him. You know, guys would say stuff about him. He just let it roll off his shoulder. Man, if somebody says something about me, I'd be all up in their face. Right. I'd be driving them up that. in the locker. He didn't do that. No. And I was really But they had a lot of guys like that. Bernie was the guy who, who... Bernie was quiet, yeah. another guy that let things just roll off his back, right? Yeah. Bernie, he didn't, but they were tough players, tough they were competitors. Tough. Yeah. yeah, they were tough players, you know, but they went through the farm system. Yeah. You know, and it's just the same as the Mets. When we came through the farm system of the Mets, myself, Gooden, Dykster... Uh, back when all of us, that's why we developed like that, because we came through the forces. When you're together. playing with those Yankee teams and having big moments, talking with Dallas Strawberry before we break, when you're playing with those Yankee teams and winning and having big moments, were you still doing drugs or you weren't doing no. drugs? No. You were clean? I was clean. I wasn't doing drugs then. Nothing? I had nothing. Wait, did you ever relapse after that, or were you clean well, all the had, way through? When I got cancer. Then you relapsed? Then I relapsed when I got cancer. Because okay. I was going through chemo the second time after I had cancer. You know, I lost my left kidney in the second surgery. And, right. And, um, yeah, so relapsed. You know, I was taking chemo again, and I was just like, I really don't want to do this anymore. When was the last time you had any problems with uh, with, with uh, any substance abuse? What year? 14 years. 14 years? 14 years. My wife got 16 years, and she pulled me out of dope houses. I was shooting dope, smoking crack down in South Florida, and she pulled me out of dope houses and said, you're going to live. She said, God's got a plan for you. I said, well, I don't, why don't he just let me die? She said, you're just not that lucky. So... Obviously, I wasn't that lucky, and my whole life has changed because of her, and I'm, I will always be grateful for her, you know, that she was the one. Because what happens is um, when, when a person is in the midst of addiction, you need people to help you. No well, when you, when you meet up with someone who comes to you who has a problem. Yes. Or you're brought in in an intervention, right, or however that works. Is it more that the people bring you in? who don't have addiction that love this person or is it that the person seeks you out which one works which one is more common well it's more i just come i just come along you know um but i mean is the family bringing you in no the family don't bring me in it's the person i think you know i mean how how do you get to the person who's in trouble well a lot of them in my treatment center so the problem is in america what's happening is america every the stigma of addiction everybody makes it it's like you're weak you're not weak it's a disease it's an illness it's like cancer it's like anything else it's got to be treated people say well he's weak because he he, you got all the money money don't make you happy you don't know what's wrong with a person people don't understand when someone gets addicted, once a kid alters See, people mind, who don't have money don't, don't understand that money never makes anybody happy. Yeah, I know they don't understand they that. They don't. I, I, they I make do. you freer. Yeah. It, it gives you ch- more choices, you but it doesn't choices. make you happy. What, what, what more choices are you going to get when you have money? All you're going to do is buy more stuff. Right. That's what I, I, used, to be, I used to sit up and But, my, I mean, if you want to go somewhere, you go somewhere. If you want to get something, you get something. Yeah, my point is course. it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't make you but happy. But everybody who doesn't have it thinks it makes you happy. They think it will. Yeah, I, I know, and that's why they look from the Like when you were poor, you thought, and I'm going to get money, I'm going to be happy. I thought I would be happy. Yeah, but when I did. grew up poor, when I thought the same thing, when I'm going to get money, I'm going to be happy. But did it make you happy? I was happy then, so I'm happy now. I got lucky. But I'll tell you something, I'm happier now with it than I was before. I was, I'd rather have it than not have it. Well, <laughs> but, I'm saying but it doesn't make you happy. I'm saying from a standpoint of a celebrity and athletes, why do you think so many celebrities have so much money 
but they have so many problems. Because no one ever tells them no. No one ever tells them no. No one ever That's tells the them they got a problem. problem. Why do you think a guy like Prince would OD and die with everything he had? Because he everyone had. around you, you surround yourself with not people who love you and will and tell you no. Truth. People who are sycophants who will just tell you yes. And that's why guys like Michael Jackson and Elvis Presley die. That's because why they, they die. surround themselves with people there you go. who tell them yes. And people don't understand that. You know, and that was the same thing in they my don't, life. If you say no to them, they throw you out. Yeah, that was the same thing in my life because everybody used to be like, "Oh, you're Daryl Strawberry." Yo, right. you're they gave you any whatever you wanted. Yeah, but my wife told me, you know, when she when she finally when I finally realized the light came on, she said, "You need to take the uniform off." Gotcha. You're he's, just a normal person. He's dead. That's right. That that that's over. You don't man. impress me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, that's the thing about everybody else. That saved your life. That saved my life. So when you meet someone who's not a famous person who hasn't been wealthy and hasn't gone that route and they have the addiction how do you get to them well you got to get to the root problem and there's something down there some trauma something has happened in their families dysfunction in families everybody makes their home look like it's great but it's not you got these you got these suburban kids living in the hills and stuff and their families all dysfunction and now they're all addicted to opiates and heroin why because they're broken inside they're hurting because they don't know if they love or they are just because they have the money, just because they live, live this kind of lifestyle. They said, my parents are never around. My uncle molests me. You know, my, my brother touched me in the wrong way. It's all these things that happen. I've seen these little girls come into treatment at 18, 19 years old. They've OD'd three or four times because they've broken inside. If somebody's molested them in, in their family, all kinds of stuff happens. And people just don't understand. That's the problem. That's where the problem lies. And I think... What, what has happened now, writing this book is a book about education. What happens to a person? Why does a person get addicted and have an addictive personality like they do? All right. This book shares hard truths and hopeful messages. What's the hard truth? That people's life matter no matter what. No matter what color they are, black, white, no matter if they're rich, poor, their life matters. And that's what people need to understand. Who are we to judge? Everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. Before somebody who has an addiction gets better, what has to happen? What do they have to come to the realization of? Well, they have to get truthful with themselves. Which they means get, what? They got to get out of denial and say they have a problem. They have to admit the problem, right? They have to admit that they have a problem. You have to get to the place where you admit you have the problem. And then you got to deal with the inside. Because we can all look good on the outside. We can all dress up and make ourselves look good on the outside. But my insides was depleted and toxic, you know. If I never dealt with my inside, I never dealt with the real issues of who am I. Not the baseball player, Mike. And, and that's what kids have to get to the place of identifying who they are, not what somebody else has said on social media about me. See, they have a harder time now because social media and no one learns how to communicate and everybody's, a, everybody's all this and that and that and what they read. And that's when a lot of kids get lost and they believe the hype of what someone else has said about you. It doesn't matter what anyone says about you. They're going to talk about you anyway. And what's the hopeful message? <laughs> that you get to have the joy, the freedom, uh, being restored. You the thing about it, what, what can Anybody's happen? fixable? Anybody. Or are there people that just well, aren't some, fixable? Some, you meet some that just aren't fixable? Some won't. Some won't. They want to die? They just won't surrender. They won't surrender. See, I've been rescued. I've been redeemed. And I've been restored. 
And people could be rescued, redeemed, and restored to the wholeness of who they are if they only give this a chance, if they only allow themselves to have a spiritual awakening inside. It doesn't matter. You've got to go through 12 steps, yes, but you still have to have a spiritual awakening. I didn't want to be a heathen no more. I didn't want to be a liar. I didn't want to be a cheater. I didn't want to be a womanizer. I didn't want to do all those things I was doing no more. So I had to clean house. You got to clean house if you want to be well. A lot of people just get clean and they still act the same and wonder why their life is still the same. I didn't want my life to be that anymore. I cleaned house. My wife showed me how to clean house. And I'm grateful to the fact that I have a wonderful wife who allowed me to clean house. And she was very patient with me. And she walked the road with me now. We're tremendously blessed because I cleaned my house up. Are you a... Are you a are you a a uh, person who is a expert in addiction or are you a, a man of God? Which one? I'm not an expert in addiction. I'm a man of God. I'm. A God. Are you a, are you are a, a would you call yourself a preacher? Are you a preacher? I do preach. I'm an evangelist. You're an evangelist. To, yeah, I go and preach in uh, churches with ten thousand. I just did that in California, and I'm going to. Do you subscribe to any one religion? Are you no, are you, non-denomination? Are you, you're non-denominational. Non-denominational. Do you lean towards any one? Uh, kind of teaching? Is there anybody that you... No, just, it, just mine. It's from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's down inside of me. I, that's where I get it from. I get the information from the book, the Bible, and I teach from there. Do you, re, uh, you, do you teach from the Bible itself? I do. I do. Are you literal about the Bible? Am I what? Are you literal, meaning that you... Yeah. you know, some people are literal. Some people take the Bible as a teaching... Uh, mechanism. Some people take it literally every word. Are you one of those people, or are you a person that uses it as a book of parables and of teachings? I use it as parables and teachings, just like Jesus did. I've, I've learned to use it the way he did, because I realized that my life has been transformed. And, and some of the things in the Bible don't really play to today. They were written many, many years ago, so they might not you know, play today, you know, well, to today's society so well. Well, I, yeah, well, once you, once you get into it and once yeah. you understand, I never went to school, but you got to go. If you want to hear me come preach, you got to see. You'll be you'll be amazed because it's not me. I've been changed from the inside. Really? Yeah, it's it's a different person. We just having a conversation here, but when I get in front of ten thousand people, I'm a whole different person. Where do you where do you preach? I where mean, do you where do you where I preach do you, all over? I, I, I mean, do you have a certain church that is yours or no? No, I go to church. In, um, we live in Orlando, but right. we go to church. I go to church here, but I travel Mike about a hundred times out of the year. Um, preaching and, and, and doing a lot of men's conference. Oh, I got like four or five already in uh, Canada for next year. Do you have? Are you a person who has found forgiveness? Are you a, like a per, are you at peace? Oh yeah. I, are you I at peace? Forgiveness. Mike, I found forgiveness. My father, four years ago, I was going to preach at a men's conference, and the man that beat me, the Lord sent me to the hospital where he was at to repent to him. To your father. To my father for keeping him out of my life. And you, did you do that? Yes, because the Lord says, how dare you not forgive him and I forgave you. I laid in his lap and cried like a baby. And then I lifted up and the Lord says, now lead him to the Lord. And I said the sinner prayer with him. I led my father to the Lord, the man that beat me. So maybe there's hope for the Mets. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll have a reconciliation <laughs> with the Mets. Maybe there's, you'll have some forgiveness for the Mets. You're so funny, I set you up good. I did that. I did. You did set me up for that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. I admit I did. I did. But, uh, I'll tell you but, but like maybe this. you will. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll have some forgiveness for them. Well, it's, it's, not just, it's not just all them. It's just one person. Jeff, okay. okay. We got to that. Yeah. It, that's all it is. He ticked you off somewhere. Well, yeah, 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 I'm not trying to get it out of you. You don't yeah, have to tell no, us. Yeah. I'm not trying to get into your business. So uh, that's, that's your thing. So, but, you know, there is right now in this country, forget 
ball players who get are able to go out and buy lots of drugs and have big parties and get hooked on cocaine. There are there is an epidemic in this country yes. of painkiller prescription prescription drugs from teenagers stealing them out of medicine cabinets to people who go to a doctor and get hooked on they've made the painkillers too good or whatever they are the bottom line is that is an enormous epidemic in this yes. country yes what do you have to say about that well that's why we came out with this book our team um, john picciano myself ron doc because we've experienced this firsthand i travel across the country in rallies of 1700 people with governors of uh, penn state i mean a uh, Pennsylvania, right. where they're going to have 4,500 deaths probably this year. Yeah, New Hampshire's got a yeah. huge crisis. Go down these states, they have incredible Ohio, problems. Ohio, yes. I was in Ohio. They had 30 ODs in one week. Wow. I was out there speaking. And the problem is, 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 it's like I'm trying to reach President Trump to get on his team so I can bring back the education. You probably know Trump. I do know Trump. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. know him. We've seen him a million games. I've sat next to him at games. I've I, him, you know, I'm sure you know him well. I love him, and I wish I could get on his team because the people that you, this is not about political. This is about a real problem. This is about answers. This is about people going in that know about addiction, that know what needs to take place. you got to go back into the schools, the junior high schools, the high schools, right. and you got to bring education. you got to bring programs in there. you got to bring people like myself and, and, and a group of guys that are recovering addicts that we go on to tell the kids the danger of, of, of addiction. What has happened is uh, opiates have taken over our younger generation of people. Because people don't understand. You can go, well, how does it happen? First parents, you need to get on board and don't let your child get a Clean out your medicine cabinet. Too. Don't let them get a prescription at no, all. That's right. Uh, if he gets hurt, don't give him pain don't pills. Give him, that's what they've, they've that's right. what ha has happened. They've right. given him pain pills. Give him Tylenol or yeah, something. Give him Tylenol. Tell him yeah. go on, a, go lay on the couch and go to sleep. Right. You know, and what what's happening is that's what I'm saying. We need to educate people about addiction. I think we educate them about everything else. Right. But we don't tell them that pills, you know, opiate pills are, are going to kill them. Because once anything, see, people don't understand. I'm I'm a recovering addict. Once anything alters your mind. When you're 15 years old, you're going to love it. When you're 16, 18, 17 years old, you're going to love it. Because the opiates are stronger than anything that ever now. They're not like they used to be. Yep. You know, they're stronger. They, that's, the, that's the kick. They reel them in and get them addicted. And I had kids, you know, that I've met. that has And they're expensive. Expensive. And you got steel or you got to go to well, heroin. Well, they use the insurance. And they go to heroin, too. They go to heroin, Because it's cheaper, right? And they use the insurance. They use the parents' insurance and they go get the pills. I had a kid in Long Island uh, that I met, and he was popping 30 pills a day. Oof. I took him and I put him right in my treatment center, and I put him in there for free. I says, Where's your treatment I says, center? Um, down in Orlando. Orlando and Deland have two. One down in Orlando, St. Cloud, and we'll have one in Deland. And that, and they, uh, this, they're like real. Recovered. So, like, they put people in there, like, they, they, you know, like, there's medical insurance will put people in there yes. and stuff like that? Okay. That, that's, your, that's your business. You're running a business. Yeah, I'm, there. I'm in a business with them, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, but I'm not in the business part, you know. I'm well, you got to live. Of, how do you live? I I'm mean, a, how do you make my, money? You ministry. Got, I'm, I'm no, but ministry. wait, how do, you, how do you make money to travel, eat, live? I mean, what's your source of income? Preaching. The, is it really? I, well, who pays I'm you? I'm blessed. The churches. The churches pay you? <laughs> yeah. They yes. pay you to preach? Yes, they do. Oh, I mean, yeah. did, did you save any of your money or no? No, I spent it all. Okay. I figured you did. I figured you did. <laughs> Plus, my, you didn't, my, my two wives got a bunch of you made. Them. Listen, you, you didn't make the crazy money. I mean, yeah. you didn't make the $30 million a year, $28 million a year. You probably made, what, $4 million tops or something like that? Five, Five. million? Five? Yeah. Which is a lot of money, but I'm not saying, but it's not $20 million like they do now. Well, yeah. I don't even care about money. No, but I'm saying, but you got to live, though. Who, but how I'm, do you live? 
I'm happy we're blessed. You know, I'm very blessed. You know, I, yeah, but I someone's, someone's got to pay the bills. I know. It pays. It, it, believe me, I, we have. So preaching we, pays the bills? It pays it. Okay. More than you can imagine. Really? Yes. I am I am tremendously blessed. Me and my wife, we, we live a wonderful life, and, okay. and we're happy, and we're just happy the fact that These we can These churches help invite you to come? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh they do? Yeah, of course. Really? I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking how it works. I don't know how it works. All they do is go to my website, strawberryministries.org, and right. they pull up and they fill out a form. And they, and How they many call. speeches or how many? Uh, out of a year? Yeah, how many do a year? I'll probably do about 100 a year. 100 a year? Yeah. And you travel all over the country? Tra- travel all over the country. Okay. And they just come and say, hey, would you come to our church? They fill, and- they fill out the form, and they say they want me to come for, like, a weekend. Right. They want me to preach on a Saturday, and they don't want me to preach three Three services on the Sunday. Wow. And yeah. so you'll do a whole weekend in some place? Whole weekend. Gotcha. And will you stay and meet the people or not yes. really? You will? Oh, yeah. I, I greet the people afterwards. I'm a people person. No, you, you, you yeah. definitely are. Because if anyone ever comes up to you in the stands, they'll see that you always are very nice to them. I've sat next to the game, so you are always very nice to all the fans who come over and see you. I love people. That's what I mean. You're, yeah. never, you're never not nice to the fans. You always are. And I've been at big events with you where you've been very nice to all the fans. So yeah. I've always seen that. You've been, and not every player is. Yeah, I know. You know a, lot, a lot of players don't want to sign autographs. You know that. That's not. Been I don't thing. know why. You yeah, know, it's well, no they, big deal. Yeah, but some guys, you know, <laughs> they get they don't like to do it. You know that. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm not telling you they don't know. You I know, know of course. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know that a lot of guys don't like to do it. So, but you've never been. That's never been an issue. So that's how you live. Go place to place to place. Yeah. And what right. is this book going to be? A is this a for profit book or is this a book to send the message out? It's a book to send the message out. Plus, it will go. The money will go into my ministry. Okay. More than anything. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to make money. The book you know, is Don't Give before. Up on Me, uh, Shedding Light on Addiction with Daryl Strawberry. The publisher is HenschelHouseBooks.com. So go to uh, Henschel House Publishing, Inc., Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They can go on the Internet and get the book, right? Yeah. Uh, shedding, light on, shedding Light on Addiction.com. Shedding Light on Addiction.com. Yeah. Don't Give Up on Me with Daryl Strawberry. I'm just going to read the dedication. This book is dedicated to all those who never gave up on me in hopes that this book will help others never give up on their loved ones who suffer from this terrible brain disease of addiction. And... So you think all addictions are a disease? Everyone, no matter what it is that they're addicted to, you think everyone is a disease? It's, yeah, it's an illness. Do you classify Food. all of them the same? Food, sex, that's an addiction. Gambling. Gambling, that's an addiction. All of it. All of Drugs, it across the board. Booze, Drugs, yeah, everything. Yeah, booze, lying. I mean, we all have something. Okay. You know, if we, if we don't believe we don't have something, then something's wrong with us. Because you just don't live here and you don't not have anything. We all we all have been through something. We all will go through something. And none of us is perfect. It was only one perfect one. His name was Jesus. He hung on the cross. So and the rest of us are all sinners saved by grace. And we just need to understand that. You can stop pointing fingers at people and blaming people for this and that. You know, we all do something. And that's just the nature of what we live in, Mike. What's the, when was the When was the... Darkest day. What year was the darkest time for you? Well, <laughs> I mean, what year was where, when did you hit rock bottom? What was the, it was what quite, was the worst? It was quite a, quite a was few it LA hours. years? The LA years? It, it probably when, you know, it was probably when I ended up with a, in a Florida State prison because of addiction. I had a T17169. And it probably was the best thing that happened to me because I got a chance to open my eyes up and see how far you can really go down. How long did you spend in the jail? I spent 11 months in the Florida State Prison. I didn't realize you were there for 11 months. Yeah. Really, what was the crime? 
Drug addiction. That was, oh. there was addiction. But that's not. That, I thought they didn't put people in jail for that. Though, that's what they? they did. They wanted to make. You know, they wanted to make something out of me. But they did. They made more than. So you actually went in. You were incarcerated for eleven months. I was. So they made. You know, they wanted to make me as an example. But you know what? It was the greatest gift that could ever happen. Uh, where to were me. you in Florida? Yeah, in, in, in Gainesville, in the Florida State Prison. People thought I was scared to go to prison. I, I'm not scared of nothing, Mike. You know, I've been. Well, I've I'm been sure a prison lot. was scary. No, it wasn't scary for me. A lot of thugs in there, but I was. Yeah. Dedication. This book is dedicated to all those who never gave up on me in hopes that this book will help others never give up on their loved ones who suffer from this terrible brain disease of addiction. And so you think all addictions are a disease. Everyone, no matter what it is that they're addicted to, you think everyone is a disease. It's, yeah, it's an illness. Do you classify Food. all of them the same? Food, sex, that's an addiction. Gambling. Gambling, that's an addiction. All of it. All of Drugs, it across the board. Booze, Drugs, yeah, everything. Yeah, booze, lying. I mean, we all have something. Okay. You know, if we, if we don't believe we don't have something, then something's wrong with us. Because you just don't live here and you don't not have anything. We all, we all have been through something. We all will go through something. And none of us is perfect. It was only one perfect one. His name was Jesus. He hung on the cross. So the rest of us are all sinners saved by grace. And we just need to understand that. You can stop pointing fingers at people and blaming people for this and that. You know, we all do something. And that's just the nature of what we live in, Mike. What's the, when was the, when was the, darkest day what year was the darkest time for you well <laughs> i mean what year was where, when did you hit rock bottom what was the, it was what quite, was the worst it was quite a quite a was few it years. la years the la years it, it probably when you know it was probably when i ended up with a, in a florida state prison because of addiction i had a t17169 and it probably was the best thing that happened to me because i got a chance to open my eyes up and see how far you can really go down how long did you spend in the jail I spent 11 months in the Florida State Prison. I didn't realize you were there for 11 months. Yeah. Really, what was the crime? Drug addiction. It was, oh. it was addiction. But that's not. That, I thought they didn't put people in jail for that. Though, that's what they? they did. They wanted to make. You know, they wanted to make something out of me. But they did. They made more than. So you actually went in. You were incarcerated for 11 months. I was. So they made. You know, they wanted to make me as an example. But you know what? It was the greatest gift that could ever happen. Uh, where to were me. you in Florida? Yeah, in, in, in Gainesville, in the Florida State Prison. People thought I was scared to go to prison. I ain't I'm not scared of nothing, Mike. You know, I've been. I'm I've been sure a prison lot. was scary. No, it wasn't scary for me. A lot of thugs in there, but I was. Yeah. A, I was a good thug myself. I come from the streets, so I. I, I wouldn't. Know about want, I couldn't. That sounds scary <laughs> to me to ever walk in a place like that. I'm telling you right now, that sounds like a scare. Hey, you're so funny, Mike. But I go back into prisons now, and the I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind prison. going in and talking to them. I just don't want yeah. to stay there. Yeah, I, I want to go home at night. I don't want. I just don't want them to leave me there. I don't want to be there for a couple of days. I go in there. Well, I go in there now in the maximum security prisons. I've been in a prison called. I Anchor. can't imagine when they close the door. Yeah. I can't imagine what that feels like. I've been there to go in there and, and preach now with the guys, and these guys got life and death row, and I've been in death row guys. Well. Yeah, I've been on uh, death row, and I've been in prisons um, now where they have life and never get out, and they've been in there since they're 18 years old. And jeez, it's it's some stories. It's some stories I get to hear now. So don't give up on me, SheddingLightOnAddiction.com, Daryl Strawberry. And, again, maybe we'll find a little, little forgiveness for the mess somewhere along the way. What do you think? Maybe. It'll keep the door open. What the heck? Hey, if, if he ever wants to talk, I'll talk. There you go. See, we already, we already made a step then. But, Look at that. Look at that. But he's going to have to make that step. Gotcha. All right. well, listen, good luck with the book. All right. Thanks, thanks for Mike. coming Appreciate on. Appreciate it. Thanks. Daryl Strawberry at 3 o'clock back after this.